Hey everyone, welcome to The Anxious Pineapple, a show dedicated to getting curious about our good friend anxiety. My name is Kayla Chorley, your host and anxious therapist. A friendly reminder that this podcast is in no way a substitute for therapy and does not constitute therapeutic advice. This is simply for informational purposes only. I encourage you to follow up with your own therapist or medical doctor for professional support and advice. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the last episode of season one of The Anxious Pineapple. As always, I'm so happy to have you here with me. And uh, yeah, season one is done. 10 episodes. We've explored everything from what is anxiety to relationships and everything in between. And today's episode is all about children and parenting anxious children. And I have the wonderful Eliza Katz with me. But before I get to kind of the intro for the show, I did want to take some time to really thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here with me. It has been such a learning curve figuring out this podcasting stuff and figuring out what my voice is and how I want to use my voice. And so I really appreciate you sticking around and listening. And I promise there will be a season two. It will come out later this year, probably sometime during the winter. So look out for that. I will definitely let you know when it's on its way. Maybe there'll be a new intro or something super cool. So stay tuned for that. Now, as I was saying, today's episode is all about parenting anxious children, and I say parenting as a a general term, but really this is for any caregiver of an anxious child, including teachers and anyone that may be around children um, that are feeling anxious. There's wonderful tools that Eliza Katz shares with us today about how we can notice if our children are actually anxious or not. So I know a lot of children, and Eliza touches on this, often aren't able to voice what they're feeling like adults can. We can say, you know, I'm feeling a little anxious, but for a lot of children, that's just not something they're capable of doing. So we take a look at what are some common signs, what are some common symptoms of anxiety in children, what to look out for, and how we can support our children as they work through anxiety, and uh, how we can be there for ourselves as well as parents working with children that maybe are anxious. So I'm really excited for this episode. I myself am not a parent, so I I take this with a grain of salt that I'm not a parent, but I am a teacher and I am a school counselor. So I like to say that I have hundreds of children. (laughs) So I feel like no matter where you are, if you're a parent or not, this episode is for you. If you are around children that may be anxious. Now, before we get started with today's show, let me tell you a little bit about Aliza. Aliza Katz is a licensed clinical social worker in New York and New Jersey and is a registered play therapist. She received her master's in social work from the Silberman School of Social Work at CUNY Hunter College. Aliza specializes in trauma therapy for creative children, teens, and young adults. She has loved children for as long as she can remember. She appreciates their sense of wonder 
wonder, pursuit of adventure, and playful nature, and it has kept her seeking out more interactions. She is trained in EMDR, ACT, and CBT therapy, and also trained in multiple methods of play therapy, including child-centered play therapy, TheraPlay levels 1 and 2, and Sandtray therapy. Aliza also trained in multiple parenting methods such as the nurtured heart approach, collaborative and proactive solutions, parent management training, and others. To find out more about Aliza, go to alizacatslcsw.com, and I'll include that link in case you're not sure how to spell that. (laughs) It'll be in the show notes for you. All right, let's do this. Hi, Aliza, and welcome to the Anxious Pineapple. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. So nice to be here. Yes, I'm very excited for today's conversation, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you more about children and anxiety. I know that anxiety is one of the most common mental health concerns that affects children. And I read a statistic the other day that said like 20% of children and adolescents will deal with anxiety at some point in their lives. I feel like that statistic is probably a little bit low as well. I feel like maybe there's some underreported instances of anxiety, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that statistic. Yeah, to me, it seems like it definitely would be higher. I think there's a lot of kids who really fly under the radar. They're not expressing verbally that they feel worried or nervous, so people don't realize it. You know, if they're spacing out in class, people often jump to thinking, you know, this kid is, you know, maybe they have ADD and they're not focusing. Very often it's because their mind is just churning out one thing after the next, you know, oh no, I'm going to the dentist. Oh no, what's going to happen? Is that, you know, I heard about a hurricane. Maybe we're going to have a hurricane. Um, And it's sometimes they don't even know it themselves. So it's not that they're not expressing it to, you know, their parents or teachers. They sometimes they're not even aware of it. It's just kind of the way that they operate. Absolutely. So it sounds like anxiety for most children shows that they're dealing with it. They don't know how to voice it. And so it's really up to parents, teachers, maybe people in their lives to to notice it if they can. Mm -hmm. So the big question is, how does anxiety often present in, in children? What would that look like typically? Yeah, yeah, that's an important, important question for sure. So sometimes you have to be kind of a detective as a parent to think about, you know, is this is this anxiety? What am I looking at here? So we could kind of break it down into, you know, actually the word anxiety, but that encompasses three kinds of things. So we have fear, you know, being afraid of something. And then we have nervousness and then we have worry which at first glance seem like maybe they're all the same things, but if you really think about it, they're very different. You know, you can be nervous about an upcoming test um, and you can be, you know, worried that the car is going to get into a crash. You could be afraid of, you know, bugs. So there's a lot of overlap between them, but they don't always look the same. You know, parents will sometimes tell me like, scared? No, my daughter, she's not scared of anything. Like, okay, well, how about, you know, worry? Oh yeah, all the time. She's worrying something's going to happen to me. She worries about this or that. So we have to think of that broader picture of the three of those kind of things together. But very often with kids, like I mentioned before, they'll go under the radar because they don't even know necessarily that they're doing, you know, worrying or feeling afraid or they won't express it. So often we have to look at physically what's going on with them. Very common, you know, for kids to have stomach aches, headaches, 
um, even other aches and pains that you're constantly bringing them to the doctor and the doctor keeps saying, you know, there's nothing wrong. I don't know why her throat just keeps feeling like that. Or I don't know why she feels nauseous all the time. Or then there's, you know, appetite changes, you know, all of a sudden, you know, eating much more than usual, eating less, becoming a much pickier eater. And the same with sleeping. Very often, um, the most common, you know, kind of combination with the kids I work with, I see is like the sleep combined with some sort of ache and pain. So there's often like stomach aches, plus they can't fall asleep at night, or they're waking up in the middle of the night. Um, or they're just really dreading going to sleep and pushing it off because often that's the time, right? You're laying in bed, your mind starts churning out those worries. Um, and also, like I mentioned before, the difficulty concentrating is often a, a good clue. If they kind of seem spacey when you talk to them um, or just staring out the window a lot of the time, look, they look like they're not really present. Those are gonna be some signs. As well as also, you know, using the bathroom very frequently shows up, especially in younger kids. Uh, very frequent need keep running to the bathroom um, will also be kind of a clue. Yes, those are all really helpful because I know for myself and I'm sure a lot of parents and, and caregivers, teachers, guardians can attest to this, but those might not be things that we notice or think of as being anxiety like going to the bathroom all the time or complaining about a stomach ache. So I really appreciate you sharing those with us. I'm thinking about myself as a child and like my fear of school. Like I never wanted to go to school. <laughs> I was very avoidant of school. I would, you know, stay awake thinking about school and like worrying about school the next day and like what's going to happen. And I, I sense that another factor might be seeing kids kind of um, miss a lot of school or um, disengage at school quite frequently. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And often you can have that like class discussion and some of the kids are, you know, not there. They're really not present and their mind's just in another place. As many times as, you know, teachers will try to engage everybody there's often those children who are just, yeah, they're, they're somewhere else. They're thinking about going to the dentist. They're thinking about, you know, all sorts of things that are just not um, the topic at hand, you know, and that will take precedence, right? If we think we're in danger, we are going to prioritize getting back to safety. So some kids might feel all the time like they're in danger, especially if they have social anxiety, then just being in a classroom and feeling like at any time you can be, you know, put on the spot and be called on by your teacher. That's enough of a thing to be preoccupied with that you're not even hearing what the teacher's talking about because your mind is just, oh no, is she calling on me now? Oh no, is she calling, is she calling me now? Oh no, is this, that friend going to talk to me? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to learn in that state, right? I imagine there's a lot of mislearning that occurs because, it, like you said, the priority is safety, not necessarily on the lesson. So another thing we might see is, is changes in performance or grades at school. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes there's also the perfectionism, you know, where kids are really, really hard on themselves. So they're doing actually super well in school and they are concentrating and focusing. Um, but parents maybe will be seeing at home, you know, this homework is taking such a long time to be completed. And you'll often see if you look at their paper, there's just those like eraser marks or the paper is almost like, you know, shredded up from all that erasing and rewriting, writing. And teachers will see that, of course, also in class if they're doing in-class assignments and it's just taking a really long time or tests are being handed in at the last second for older kids. 
Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking about myself again in that perfectionism. I remember when I was young, anytime I'd color in a coloring book, if I went out of the lines, I'd have to rip that page out. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that anxiety definitely shows up in different ways, for sure. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on like COVID and how that has kind of affected anxiety in children? Has there been an increase? What are, what are your thoughts on that? So it's interesting. I was thinking first anecdotally, you know, about the work that I do specifically with children. The, the children that I worked with, I have to say overall, were doing much better during COVID. Um, I work with, you know, a lot, I think a very specific profile of a kind of a kid who really generally hates school. They don't really do so well in school. They have friends, but you know they still don't they just don't love it and or maybe they don't, don't even like it and it's not the perfectionistic type of kids who are working really hard to have good grades it's more of the type of kids who have a lot of um fears that they're that they're worrying about that which is the, you know what i mean like more the reason they're coming in more than being perfectionistic it's because they have these kinds of fears that things that happened and they have you know separation anxiety or trauma mm -hmm. so for those kids um most of my clientele, they were really doing better. Um, they were enjoying being home. They were enjoying the lack of structure. Um, they were enjoying the family time and being able to choose kind of more of what they did. And also, of course, the avoidance is easier also when you're when you're home and you're with family all the time and you maybe have more access to that reassurance about the thing that you're worried about. Mm -hmm. but when I looked at the studies, you know, that have been done, they've been finding overall, though, that children and teens have been, you know, impacted even more so than adults, um, you know, emotionally, socially. One early study of the pandemic found that young children were really likely to have symptoms of like clinginess um, and being afraid of their family members getting sick um, as opposed to older children. So let's say we're talking about children who are three to six years old as, um, compared to children who are six to 18 years old. But then children who are older were more likely to have difficulty paying attention, um, and asking very persistent questions about COVID. And the studies also found that children had, you know, difficulty sleeping, nightmares, poor appetite, inattention. You know, mm -hmm. kids' lives were really, really disrupted, like all of ours. You know, their lives were disrupted, yeah. their routines were changed, right? They suddenly, their whole social um, life, they, they were just pretty much gone. Yes. Um, screen you know, screens became a huge element in kids' lives, whether they were had access before or whether it was just this increased access, right? Suddenly they're going to school online, they're having their social life online, on, you know, on FaceTime or on the phone. And then physical exercise was also, you know, reduced or even suppressed overall, which like we know, you know, physical exercise is such an important factor in mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, two studies that I saw found that children who knew more about COVID um, or felt like satisfied with the amount of information they had about COVID were less likely to present with anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. which really makes sense. You know, I did see that too, you know, anecdotally as a therapist, I did see that children who were informed in the early days and they knew what was going on seemed to be doing a lot better, you know, emotionally than the children who really didn't get any information. And it was kind of just like, one day to the next, you know, oh, okay, now we're home. And not really any of that information about mm -hmm. it. So yeah, so kind of, it's it sounds like that fear of the unknown 
right? Like if we don't know about it, we can make it into this big, big thing in our minds. It could be anything, right? But if we have that information, then maybe it, it seems a little more manageable and, and less intimidating. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then it's, you know, you know, the when, once, you know, like Daniel Siegel says, right? Name it to tame it. As soon as we can put a name to it, we can start to be able to to manage it. But when it's this unknown thing, you know, it reminds me of a, a blog post that I wrote early COVID where I was talking about how we, sometimes we don't explain things to kids because we think that they're not going to understand it or we can't find a way to un, to explain it. But ultimately, you know, we're trying to protect them, but it ends up kind of making things worse. And this is often, you know, when people die, which was a big part of COVID, unfortunately, right? All the deaths. And sometimes people will use, you know, euphemisms. She's in a better place now. And, you know, kids have no idea what that means. Where is the better place? What is it? What happens? Are you going to go to the better place? Like, I, you know, we're trying to do a service, but we end up increasing that anxiety so much more because we're not giving them, you know, the really basic information that they need. You know, what is death? What does that mean? You know, the body is not working. It's in the ground, like concrete information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what, that was going to be my next question, but you kind of said it, it sounds like it's important for parents to talk to their children about COVID and give them some information about it. Exactly. Yeah. And of course it depends on, you know, their age and developmental stage, the amount of information you're going to give them. Um, But very often you can start with, you know, with, with anything that you want to inform children about, you can start with a little bit of information, see how they take that, see if they ask any more questions, you know, is that enough to satisfy? Or do they have more questions? You know, Mm -hmm. if they have more questions, we want to answer those questions. If we don't know the answer, or if we kind of feel panicked, and we don't know how we should, you know, what might be the best way to answer it, we can always say, Oh, great question. I'm going to get back to you on that. I have to think about that one. I love it. We're going to have to link your blog post so parents can find it after the show, because I think that would be a really good read for them. So how do you work specifically with children and anxiety? What's your approach? If, if for example, if, if a child was to come into your practice, what do you do with them when it comes to anxiety? Great question. So yeah, working with anxiety is a huge piece of the work that I do. So I want to help kids understand, first of all, their own specific anxiety. You know, I go through a whole list of different kinds of fears and worries, and we circle through, you know, are you afraid of this? Are you afraid of that? Who is afraid of this? You know, we'll circle, we'll give mom a color, mom's orange. Okay, let's circle all the things mom's afraid of. Let's circle all the things you're afraid of. What do you worry about? And giving them a lot of information about how anxiety works and how anxiety is something that's there to protect us. That's why anxiety exists. It's not an enemy. It's not trying to harm us. Sometimes anxiety gives us false of information, but that's because it's trying to keep us safe. And you know, also thinking about anxiety like a ski slope. So it's gonna go up, 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 and it gets worse, but then it goes down. So it's not forever. Very often we have anxiety about the anxiety, you know? So I love to do that analogy, which is um, from Russ Harris, where, you know, you take a paper and you ball it up and it's like, here's your anxiety. And so let's say your anxiety right now, your worry is, um, you know, I'm afraid of going to the dentist. So here's that anxiety, we have one paper. Now, oh my gosh, I'm worried about going to the dentist. Oh my, maybe I'm always gonna be worried about everything. Oh, now you have anxiety about your anxiety. So there's another paper on top of that. 
And now, oh, this is so embarrassing. I'm nine years old already. My friends aren't scared of the dentist. So now you have embarrassment about your anxiety, about your anxiety, right? And there's like the sadness. Oh, maybe oh, it's really sad that I'm like this. I wish I could just be like everyone else and just go play outside right now instead of wasting time worrying about the dentist, right? So we have these feelings that keep piling up, piling up, piling up. If we would say in the first place, okay, I'm worried about the dentist and kind of accept that, we wouldn't have to deal with that much of a bigger kind of snowball, you know, of anxiety, anxiety, embarrassment, sadness, and it can go on and on and on. So we want to kind of imagine that there's like a switch. You know, Russ Harris says this too, like there's a struggle switch. We want to just flip that off. Instead of fighting it, we want to kind of, if we can, even welcome it. Like, oh, hello, anxiety. Hi, worry. You're here. I figured you might show up today because I have a dentist appointment. And even seeing it as a teammate. So, you know, there's a lovely model of working with children for um, acceptance and commitment therapy called DNAV. Um, and they conceptualize it in a way of, we have three lenses that we can use. And for kids, I call it teammates. Um, so one of them is the advisor, which is that worrying voice in our heads that give us those thoughts of, you know, oh, I don't know, she's looking at you the wrong way. She probably doesn't like you. Maybe just stay away from her, right? And then we have the noticer, which is really the state that we all start out as. A noticer is the state of, you know, babies, right? All they do is notice. They look around, they feel, how do they feel inside? Are they hungry? Are they tired? They see what's around them. And then there's the discoverer, which develops, you know, as children get older, they, right, they start to crawl, they touch things, they move things, they kind of experiment. So we have these three teammates and we can choose at any time which one we want to be using. So mm -hmm. when worry shows up, you can notice, oh, I'm having this, this, you know, my advisor's really active right now. Maybe I want to switch and use my discoverer. So my advisor's telling me, you know, this person doesn't like you. She, she don't don't talk to her. She's 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 mean. Okay, let me switch into discoverer mode over here. What's going to happen if I try to find out? What if I talk to her? What if I see, you know, how she responds to me? Let's discover how this relationship could look like. Or switching into the noticer. Let me notice, you know, how my body's feeling inside right now. Let me notice her facial expressions. Let me notice, you know, just the world around me right now. Let me, you know, stop for a minute and see what's going on today instead of being caught up in your head. And somebody recently told me this analogy that I love about the advisor, which is it's kind of like when you go on um, Amazon and you want to buy something and you look at the reviews, right? And there's like those reviews, you're, you want you want them to be helpful, right? You're trying to get information about whether or not you should buy this product. Now, some reviews are like, best thing ever, love it, five stars. And then <laughs> some of them are like, you know, I compared this to the other brand and it's just okay. And then there's like those reviews that are like, worst product, don't buy, stay away. Here's my video. Yeah. Right. It's it's like a it's like a minefield trying to figure out which one's valid. Which one exactly, sometimes. you're like, wait a minute. Thank you, random strangers on the internet, for giving me this information. <laughs> now, how do I know, you know, who to trust? Like, what am yeah. I going to do? So we have a choice. We can also then slip into one of those modes too. We got if you think about it, we can go into Discover. We can say, okay, there's a return policy. Let me buy it, try it out, and see how I like it. Or we can go into notice or we can say, let me, let me watch this video about it and see what features I'm, I'm noticing about it and see how it looks to me and what I, you know, kind of what I think. So if we think about worrying 
thoughts in that way with the advisor, we can think about it like those reviews, right? I don't have to believe every single thought that comes into my head, just like I'm not going to believe every single review. So mm -hmm. thinking of it like that, right? It takes away the threat. It's like, let's be curious. Let's let's see, let's see how we feel about this. Let's let's try something out. Let's, you know, so we can shift instead of feeling like, oh no, I feel worried now. I'm stuck. This is the end. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's amazing. I'm going to, I'm stealing that for sure. <laughs> sure. I, well, you know, it's, not me. It's, it's the DNA V model. I'll have to give it credit where it's due because I think it's so <laughs> genius. It truly is. It truly is. And I, I love that you can even apply it to our lives too as adults. Like it, it's so fitting, right? We can get really stuck in that feeling of, oh man, I just had a thought. This must be true. If I'm thinking it, this is this is it. Exactly. This is what it is, right? And so being able to decipher between, okay, is this thought helpful or not? Do I need to pay attention to it? That's a huge skill. And I, I love that you're working with a lot of children to learn that skill because I think that's something all of us should know how to do, right? Like that would be lovely if we were all taught that skill at a young age. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Russ Harris has another metaphor that I love where he says emotions are like the weather, right? Like you, you wanted to go to the park today, you woke up and it was raining outside. Now, are you just going to stay in bed the whole day now? Like, oh, bummer. I wanted it to be sunny. You know, are you going to get angry and yell and scream at the skies and be like, why is it not sunny today? I wanted sun. Probably you're just going to go about your day and make a shift, make a change and not blame anyone because it's like it's the weather. Who am I going to blame? So same thing with emotions, right? Like you, you wake up and you wanted to have this very calm, maybe joyful day, but now you feel this sense of dread inside you know, try to treat it like the weather. Like, okay, today's kind of this this kind of a feeling going on. Okay, now what am I gonna do with my day? Instead of getting sucked into that, you know, like, oh no, now what am I gonna do? This is not what I wanted. And I'm such an idiot because I always feel like this. Yeah, yeah. And I think that lends itself nicely into the idea of emotions. Like how important is it that we talk to children about emotions? Mm -hmm. Yes so important to give labels you know so many times kids have they have the words happy sad and mad and those are the feelings but feelings really are so much more nuanced right we have frustration and disappointment and guilt and regret and relief and we just have so many different emotions out there and the more that we can label them again it's that name it to tame it right we can understand how we're feeling and feel more in control i encourage parents always to be that model you know label it for your kids i know it sounds clunky and kind of weird and it's not probably not for anyone i know a natural thing that you're just born with but to train ourselves right to say i am so frustrated right now that car is moving so slowly I'm, all, I'm feeling a little worried. I, I don't know. You guys are, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get you late to school. Then I'm going to get late to work. You know, I'm going to take some deep breaths. I think I need to take some deep breaths right now. Yeah. Okay. You know, and like labeling all of that and normalizing it. Like, it's okay. We don't, you know, why should we feel any better quote unquote towards happiness than we do towards sadness? You know, there's no negative emotions there used to be this concept people said often right like the negative emotions versus the positive emotions yes. right and we have this shift now towards all emotions are the same 
good, fine. They're all emotions. That's what they are. And when we feel them, we shouldn't try to shun them and say like, oh, oh, I'm horrible, but I'm feeling this way. That's okay. Oh, it's your birthday. And you also feel disappointed because you were expecting something that you didn't get or the cupcakes weren't pink and they were white. That's totally fine. That's okay. Let's, let's feel that disappointment right now. You know, as opposed to the messaging of, it's your birthday, be happy. Who cares about that? Yeah. You know, because then we're teaching kids not to trust themselves, right? Not to trust the way that they feel and to kind of condemn themselves. Mm -hmm. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking too of the idea of crying, right? We're often like, mm -hmm. oh, don't cry, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I sense that same instance of we we want to be able to trust what we're feeling. And so if, if crying is involved, that's okay. Exactly, exactly. I always take such issue with that phrase we tell kids, you get what you get and you don't get upset. False, false. You get what you get and you might get upset. That's, that is how I think it should be reframed. Or, you know, <laughs> even you get what you get and it's okay to be upset, you know, because it's totally false. Look at us as adults, right? We don't, we're not happy with what we get. We didn't want COVID. We got that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we got upset. <laughs> we definitely got upset, <laughs> you know, yes. and we, we didn't tell ourselves that there was something wrong with us for being upset about it. We were like, no, this sucks. So, you know, we want to tell that to kids. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, even if we're the ones who got this thing for them and we wanted them to be happy about it, it's like, hey, you don't love this shirt. I went all the way to that store that you love to get it for you. How could you be upset right now? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's so interesting because I work with a lot of adults. So I work with a lot of the parents <laughs> that come to see me. And a lot of them haven't done their own work around, you know, kind of understanding their emotions, expressing their emotions. So I can see how sometimes if parents aren't comfortable with that themselves, it might be really difficult for them to model for their children. So do you also encourage parents to do their own work in this regard or, or maybe, you know, check in with their own anxiety if it exists? Definitely. Yeah. It's so important to be attuned to your own emotions. Like you really can't, help anybody go, you know, farther than you yourself has come, you know, they say that to therapists, right? We can, we as therapists can only help people go as far as we have gone ourselves personally. And the mm -hmm. same is true for parents too. You know, you can help your children with the skills that you have, but you know, of course, any skill you don't have, you can't, you don't have it to, to give it over. So it is so important. And like I said before, it's, it's clunky, right? To start labeling emotions and especially for parents, who that's not their style they don't want to seem like a friend type to their kid or they're very private and they don't want their kids to know how they're feeling um mm -hmm. so it is so important to work on normalizing emotions for yourself to feel you know like it's okay it's okay to feel you know to feel disappointed on your birthday it's okay to you know feel angry about something that you know logically you think you shouldn't be be angry about mm -hmm. and we can also you know tell our kids this like hey this is new for me you know I'm, I'm working on this i don't even know how i'm feeling right now like i'm feeling such a big feeling i don't know what it is but i'm gonna just you know i'm gonna take a moment i need to just go to my room for a minute and regroup that's okay too that's you know that's just as important for kids too because kids often are not going to know the word the label but they're just going to know that it feels big and scary mm -hmm. Yes, I appreciate you saying that too, because I feel like there's so much pressure 
on parents to, you know, be the perfect parent, to have it all together, to know what to say in every moment, but it's okay to be learning alongside your children and to be open about that. Exactly, exactly. There are no perfect parents. And honestly, for me, when I first started working with children and I did a lot of parenting work with parents in, you know, supporting them alongside the work I was doing with their children or even sometimes just working individually with parents on kind of behavior issues that their kids were having. And somebody said to me, you know, you better be careful because if you start doing this work, then everyone's going to start looking at you and your parenting. And, you know, you're going to have to be the perfect parent all the time. And for a while, honestly, that scared me because I'm so not the perfect parent. Yeah. And, you know, oh, no, I don't want to be caught in the grocery store with my kid having a meltdown. But, you know, it took some time for me to realize that I'm never going to be the perfect parent because there is no perfect parent. And we all have our triggers. So I know for me that when I am hot, that's it. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm out of my window of tolerance. If I'm hot and someone has a tantrum, I'm not going to be my best self. And mm -hmm. that's okay. I can work in the moment and figuring out, you know, how, how to be grounded, how to maybe get my spouse involved to kind of step in so I can regulate myself. But I might never be, I probably will never be the person who feels super hot outside and also stays really calm. And, mm -hmm. you know, being a therapist doesn't change that. And, you know, the more children I have doesn't either change that. And that's okay. You know, every person out there who specializes in something is still going to have some sort of a, you know, a difficulty like couples counselors, right? Does that mean, you know, you can't be a couples counselor unless you have the perfect marriage, you know, <laughs> or you can't, you can't work with trauma unless you have, you know, never experienced trauma or have never, you know, fully worked through every single trauma that you've ever been through in your life. You know, I think as long mm -hmm. as we're all doing the work to grow, and we're on our own journeys. That's that's what we got to be doing. You know, if we would tell parents, you know, you got to be perfect or you can't have kids, there would be no kids out there. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking about perfectionism right yes, now. Too, right. And I'm like, oh, man, the anxiety that probably creates is interesting in itself, right? For parents and this idea to be perfect. Oh, my goodness. So much pressure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's so much beauty, I think, in the not knowing sometimes, you know, too. Like, I just don't know. Yes. You know, I just don't know how to deal with this, or I just don't know the answer to that question. Yes, yes, absolutely. It sounds like a lot of what you're saying, too, is like understanding your own trigger points and being aware of, hey, you know what? In this situation, I know this, I'm going to maybe react big. <laughs> So I need to like prepare myself or like be proactive to know, you know, if I'm hot, this is going to happen. Right. Exactly. So having that like self-awareness is a big part of this journey. It sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. To have that prevention of like, okay, maybe I'm going to take, you know, some extra drinks along to this thing, or maybe I'm going to, you know, what I do is I limit the time. So like I can handle half an hour, but I'm not going to handle an hour. So, okay, we're going to have half an hour and then I'm going to go, you know, take a break or then we're going to leave or I'm going to take some freeze pops out. And also the normalizing of it. Like if that's, this is fine. This is my struggle. And this is, you know, part of who I am and that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. doesn't, we don't have to add on all sorts of layers of meaning onto it. Like, oh no, this means I'm a bad person. This means that I'm inadequate. This means this, no, this is just, 
this is part of me. You know, I do really well when I'm cool in cool situations. So good, good on that. You know, <laughs> I'm there with you. I'm there with you. Cool weather is like my jam. I don't need to be outside. And like, it was plus 37 here the other day. And this is in Canada. So this is, you know, above the boiling point for us. It's so hot. <laughs> and oh. I, you know, that's not something we're used to here. So I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> now I'm thinking about anxiety in terms of like running in families. Do you often run into that where like a, you'll work with a child around anxiety and then you'll speak with the parents and you'll notice maybe they're also dealing with anxiety? Yes, yes, for sure. And it's funny because often parents will really not be aware that what it is, is anxiety, you know, and it's like anxiety. No, I'll have that. But then you can hear sometimes in the way that they're talking about things that there are, it really is a lot of worry that's, you know, piling up and it's kind of, this is people experience it as like, this is what it is, or this is how I feel. And it takes some work to realize that this is anxiety, you know, even learning in school about anxiety, I remember learning it and reading about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I had no idea that I had experienced anxiety. I totally didn't ascribe that self to me, you know, that to, to myself. I was kind of just like, oh, this is a thing. Okay, just like, this is a thing. Yes, I can relate to that 100%. Right, it's like me, you know, and this first time someone suggested to me, like, do you think that you're experiencing anxiety? I was like, no, definitely <laughs> not, you know, till, you realize because you know, we don't place ourselves into the like textbook definitions of things, right? People, like I rarely heard of anybody coming in with trauma being like, this is trauma or, you know, being <laughs> even like, oh, I have anxiety. It's like, oh, well, this thing's bothering me or I feel really stressed. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, a wonderful um, EMDR therapist and trainer, Anna Gomez, who writes in her in her book, um, you know, when people come in, she tells them, you know, they bring in their kid for, for therapy and she tells them, do you want to clear the table, sort of, so to speak, have your kid, you know, do the therapy work, or do you want to really like clean the kitchen? You know, like, do you want to go all out and like work on your stuff, have your kid work on their stuff, work on the family, like really clean out the kitchen. Like if you're not ready for that, that's fine. We can just clear the table, but yeah. let's be aware that there is always more work that could be done to further enhance the process. And it's also okay if you're not ready for that. So, you know, I'll tell parents very often, you know, it seems like you're struggling with this a little bit yourself or with trauma very often, parents have gone through the same trauma alongside their child. They're bringing their child in for the therapy, but they themselves haven't dealt with it. So let's say there's a car accident, right? And the whole family was in the car or there was a fire. So now the mm -hmm. child's working on the trauma and they're, um, you know, the, the impact of the trauma on themselves, which is wonderful. And also at the same time, I often will gently suggest to parents, like, you know, you were impacted by this too. Like, have you thought about speaking to someone yourself on this? Have you thought about, you know, just seeing what that might be like for you? Um, because very often we do subconsciously give over messages to our children about things that we don't even realize it but they end up picking up on our fears of things or our own little neuroses that we have. And we're like, Oh, that's so funny that she also cares that this and this and this. Cause I, I'm so nitpicky about that, but you know, they're, they're seeing what we do and they're like, Oh, mom does that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, yes. That all makes so much sense. I love that, that do you want to clear the table or do you want to clean the kitchen? I think that's a great, a great way to, to put it because yes, we can help the child if that's what we want, or we can look deeper and see what else we can do in terms of the family system. Very cool. Very, very cool. So I'm, I'm curious now, it sounds like parents have a big role to play in supporting their child's mental health. So what would kind of be your advice to parents that maybe are listening to this podcast if they have a child that is feeling anxious? What, what would you tell them? So I would first of all encourage parents to get comfortable with their own feelings, like we were talking about before, labeling their feelings, modeling that you know emotion recognition and acceptance and you know working on conveying the message that all feelings are welcome here and also to externalize the worry you know like oh this is the worry this is that teammate of yours you're you're trying you know you're trying to trick me i think you're trying to convince me this is dangerous you know you, you don't you don't have to you know you go take a break teammate i'm 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 i'm, I'm going to work with my um, you know discoverer right now you know, encouraging kids to kind of use that kind of a language. Um, mm -hmm. And also, it's so important for parents to have empathy, saying things like, you know, I know it's so hard because your worry is telling you this and this. Um, and, you know, talking about that, you know, like we talked about, sometimes worry can say things that are not true because it's trying to protect you. And also some coping skills, right? Like teaching some breathing, um distraction is a great one so if kids are old enough to know math i'll suggest you know doing like um multiplication or subtraction or like counting to 100 by threes or for kids who don't like math um or people like me who hate math <laughs> rhyming is also a good one um you know like Let's just do some rhymes, house, mouse, louse. And that is going to engage the left side of the brain. So emotions are on the right side of the brain, right? And then the left part of the brain is the logic and reasoning. So if we start doing math or rhyming, we are you know, using the, that other side of the brain, which gives less power to the right side to focus and strengthen on that anxiety. And I love telling kids about this, honestly, and telling kids about how the brain works and telling them about, you know, like in polyvagal theory, there's, you know, like we can do like ma a map of like the nervous system and how you're feeling in, in different states and where are you now and how can we shift? And also, like I mentioned before, you know, that's just that ski slope metaphor. So like, ooh, seems like you're really at the top of that ski slope. Okay, we're gonna be coming down from that soon. Don't worry about it. You know, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. I love all of those ideas. I feel like patience probably is a big part of this. I know you mentioned empathy. I feel like patience would also fall under that umbrella of empathy to know that, like you said, it, it's gonna go up, but it's gonna come down and we just gotta support children as best we can, knowing what we know about ourselves and how anxiety works and just allow them to be if they need to express they need to express right there's no need to to try and control that mm -hmm. exactly exactly there's no emergency here you know it's okay everything's everything's fine and i think a piece of that too is recognizing our own triggers that maybe we had when we were children because often that's going to come up, like you mentioned before, your school experiences. So maybe, you know, if you had your own child experiencing a similar situation, 
your own past experiences might come flooding back and informing the way that you respond. So, you know, trying to protect our children from things that maybe they don't even feel they need to be protected from, but we're projecting. And I see that with my own kids, honestly, all the time where I'm starting to feel worried about something. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this teacher doesn't like her. And my kid totally, you know, she's so chill. She's, I don't know if the teacher doesn't like her or I don't know if she even picks up on it. She's fine. And I have to be conscious to know, you know, that's my thing. That's not her thing. Let me not ask multiple questions about this. Let me not, you know, make this on her radar because that's my own thing. It's not her thing. Yes. I like that. So know what's yours and what's theirs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, this is mine. I'm going to keep that for myself. And you know, it's an important line because we say, you know, tell kids about how you're feeling to model emotions. It is a fine line between that and venting and giving them too much information. And, you know, I'm so worried because we're strapped for cash and we have to pay the bills. I mean, that's, you know, obviously that's, it's too much. <laughs> for sure for sure so we want to we want to share but we want to be cognizant of what we're sharing <laughs> exactly developmentally appropriate information <laughs> <laughs> makes sense <laughs> so i'm curious are there any resources that you recommend for children around the topic of anxiety yeah for sure so there's a parenting book that i love um which uses acceptance and commitment therapy it's called Parenting Your Anxious Child with Mindfulness and Acceptance. Um, and then there's a book for parents to do with their own children. There, there's one called What to Do When You Worry Too Much. Um, and there's one called The Worry Wars. So those are great books. And then in terms of books for younger children, there's one called Ruby Finds a Worry, which is a wonderful picture book about someone who starts worrying about something and learns to cope. And then there's one called listening to my body, which is not specifically about worry, but it's just such a staple, you know, teaching kids how to listen to their body, how their body is feeling inside, what they can do, how to shift. Um, so those are some resources. And, you know, there are so many podcasts out there um, and videos online. And it's such a great thing about the day, you know, that we're living in, right? We have so much access to information. If you go looking for it, it's there. So yeah you know these are some books but there are also so many great podcasts which i can you know also send you some links to some that i recommend as well that would be great i'll i'll include all of that in the show notes so everyone can find it real nice and easy now i'd like to end the show by encouraging listeners to get curious about something during the week what would you like listeners to get curious about this week mm, good question I would love if listeners could get curious about the way that they're feeling inside. Beginning, you know, with how's your breathing? Do you feel any like tension, any discomfort? You know, trying to get curious about where your feelings are living kind of physically inside of you, which personally is something that I had zero awareness of until I trained in EMDR therapy. I had no idea that this was a thing and to start getting curious about like where do you feel that in your body it's like nowhere but then if you sit and think for a minute it's like oh my gosh no my chest is so tight right now and oh my, my throat my throat feels you know really scratchy and to start building that awareness of where you hold your emotions in your body mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree more with that work 
it sounds very much like a lot of us are so disconnected from our body these days, right? We're we're very much we think feelings and and our body are very disconnected, but <laughs> that's often not the case, right? There's a very strong connection between the mind body. So I love that suggestion. I need to I also need to check in with myself <laughs> about that. You know, sometimes we get so caught up and we forget yes. to do that work, right? So thank you for that reminder. You're welcome. Yeah, it's really not. I don't think it's something that we just know. You know, how can we know intuitively that we feel things physically? I still I always relate to parents that <clears throat> sorry, when I trained an EMDR therapy and they said, and then you're gonna ask the client, where do you feel that in your body? I literally laughed out loud because I thought it was a joke. I'm like, what kind of question is that? <laughs> you know, like what like what do you mean? Where do you feel? I don't feel that feeling in my body. I feel that in my, I don't know, my head, my brain, I don't know. But then as I started to pay attention, I started to, to recognize, you know, wow, I really feel this way when I feel this emotion. And then you can get to a place of noticing even before you feel the emotion, you feel the body sensation. So it's like, like ooh, my chest is really tight. Okay, I'm gonna I'm getting really frustrated. And then you kind of can get ahead of it. You have, you know, you have advanced boarding and can start to, you know, deal accordingly. That's fantastic. Yes, I, I fully support figuring out the body mind connection. I love that. So Aliza, it was so lovely to have you here. I've learned so much. I'm very excited for parents to listen to this because I think they're going to learn a lot about themselves, but also about their children. And it, it was such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. This was so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something today about your own anxiety. If you have questions that you would like answered about anxiety on this podcast, connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at pineapplethepyeg. Enjoyed this podcast and want to help make mental health more accessible? Spread the love by following it, liking it, rating it, and taking it out for dinner. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs>